Well, I want to read to you the first section of Deuteronomy chapter 8. I don't have that on the screen. I just want you to hear the story. Israel has wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. You're going to pick up on that in, in the text. If you were here last week, you heard the story of how they got to the promised land, but some of the spies that went into the land came back and had a negative report, and in all honesty, didn't believe that God, God was able to help them enter into the promised land, and so God caused them, disciplined them, to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And so they are now on the other side of that. They're now at the promised land and God is giving this new generation another kind of promise or encouragement as they enter in. Deuteronomy chapter one, or Deuteronomy chapter eight, beginning with verse one. God says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him, revering him, for the Lord your God is bringing, in, bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Wow, that's a lot. The Israelites are now on the other side of the 40 years and they are hearing from God that this is why he caused them to wander for 40 years. He wanted to prepare them and to remind them that when they entered into this new land, they were to learn something from these 40 years of wandering. And God reminds them of his covenant relationship with them. 
that they will be his and he will be theirs. It's a covenant he made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and for all of his descendants. I was thinking about this idea of covenant this week because next Sunday at three o'clock in the afternoon, my son Jacob is getting married. Yeah. And moving out. My wife was not clapping at that. Uh, but I am not officiating at the wedding, but I, I do get the opportunity to have them exchange vows and rings. So I'm looking forward to that. And I asked them whether or not they were going to come up with their own vows, right? Or if they wanted something traditional. And because they have so many things to think about, they just went with the traditional. And so I was, you know, kind of going over that again. And many of you have, had, have said these words, right? From this day forward, for better, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, right? Those are the vows he gets to enter into, him and Isabel. They enter into a marriage covenant, a relationship with one another. And in that relationship, their vows will be challenged by both good and bad. Poverty, prosperity, there's going to be seasons. I know. I've been married for a while. Some of you have too. And you know those vows get tested. There are seasons. I remember when my wife and I first got married, I had just uh, taken a part-time job at a church that didn't pay much. And my wife didn't have a job. Uh, She got a part-time job working at McDonald's. We're both full-time students at Indiana Wesleyan University. And in that season, because we didn't have anything, we were dependent on each other. We learned that. That was part of the marriage relationship. We depended on each other. I depended that she would bring home chicken nuggets that we could put with SpaghettiOs and make chicken Parmesan, right? That was our chicken Parmesan. I'm not lying. I was dependent on that. So was our dog. (laughs) You know, we're at a different place now, you know, Um, and and things are better for us now than they were. But back then, because we, we had the time and needed each other, we focused on our relationship and devotion to one another to get through. But we do the same thing now on the other side of that, where things might be better for us, but we realize and recognize all that we have could be gone in a second. And the one thing that remains is our relationship with one another, that covenant relationship, for better, for worse. And so we focus on that relationship, not only depending on one another, but being devoted to one another in the marriage. You know, this passage tells us that that's the relationship that God wants with his people. As they're entering into this new land, they've learned a lesson after being in the wilderness. They've learned that while in the wilderness, God's presence is there with them every day. The scriptures tell us that they didn't have anything to eat, so God provided manna every day. It was a paste that would cover the ground. And so if they wanted bread, they'd have to collect it that day because it wasn't gonna be good the next day if they saved it. There was no saving. It was every day depending on God to provide their daily bread. They learned that. They were dependent on God. They didn't have water to drink, so God brought water out of the rocks for his people. 
They were dependent on God for that. They didn't have meat. God provided quail in the camp. So they had meat. They depended on God for these things. When the temple was set up or the tabernacle was set up in the wilderness, God's glory came upon the tabernacle and covered it in a cloud. And it tells us at the end of Exodus that the cloud was there. It was present every day, right in the center of the camp. And at nighttime, there was fire over the tabernacle. I mean, you could visibly see the presence of God in the community. You'd open up your tent, you'd look out, there it was, there's God. And so every day they were reminded of what they were dependent on God for in their relationship and their devotion to God. It surrounded everything they did. But as they're entering into this new land, God's saying things are gonna change. You're gonna have homes that you didn't build. You're gonna have all kinds of fruit from the vine that's growing that you didn't plant. You're gonna have things that you didn't have in the wilderness and the temptation is you're gonna be tempted to walk away. You're gonna forget. And so God wants to remind them of the lesson that they learned in the wilderness. That dependence on God and devotion to him was at the very heart of what God wanted in their lives. That was the core of their relationship. So in verse one and two, God says this, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. That's at the core of this whole passage, that God brought you into the wilderness. He allowed this wilderness experience in order to humble and test. And both of those words in the Hebrew, and they do in English as well, they, they come out of a difficult experience, right? We're humbled whenever we go through a difficult experience because we understand our place in the world. We're not as good as we thought we were. We're not as smart as we thought we were. We're not as strong as we thought we were. And so we find our place as a place of dependence. God, I need you. And God took them into the wilderness to teach them that lesson of humility and dependence on him. And then this idea of test, and our students know this well, it's to go through something of difficulty in order to reveal what it is that you've learned, right? And what the Israelites learned was that they needed to be devoted to God to reach out to him every day, to seek his face and his power. Your heart is revealed in the wilderness. Your heart, who you're devoted to, the way you live your life, we see that whenever we go through a wilderness experience. And oftentimes God allows that to humble and to test. But we not only see this in our relationship with God, we see this in our relationship with others as well, don't we? When there's difficulty, using wilderness as our difficult experience that we go through, we, some of us have had difficult experiences at work and our heart is revealed in the midst of that, our relationships, how, how we react, how we respond. Do we trust our coworkers? Do we step in and, and kind of help solve the issues? Or do we separate ourselves from the problems that's happening at work and we become critical of other people 
and find ways to mistrust and distance ourselves in case things go wrong. Our heart is revealed in that wilderness experience. It's true if your friend maybe says something to you that is very hurtful and you you can go a couple of different ways, but your heart is revealed in how you respond. You can believe that they have your best interest at heart. After all, they're your friend. And you can dive into that and go, what did you mean by that? Is there something I need to change in my life? Like, help me understand this. Or you can say, I can't believe they said that I'm never talking to them ever again. But your heart is revealed in the midst of that. When your spouse Maybe you as a couple are going through season of difficulty. Could be finances, could be kids, could be job, whatever that might be. Your heart is revealed in the midst of that. Do you remember your vows? Do you work on the relationship? It's hard if one doesn't want to, but your hearts are revealed in the midst of that. Whether or not you pour yourselves into it to to make it better, or you walk away and sign papers, your heart is revealed. And it happens in the church too, doesn't it? We know this. Something is said out in the lobby, or you were hoping someone would say something and they didn't, right? There's a program that we used to do that we don't do, or a program that we weren't doing that now we're doing, and, and there's this tension in the relationship. And in the midst of that, you reveal where your heart is. Do you quit serving, quit giving, quit coming? Or do you step in and go, hey, this is my church, I wanna be involved. Either way, your heart is revealed in the midst of that relationship. And that's true of our walk with God. Sometimes we feel disappointed. We, we pray for something we don't get. And we, we wanna our heart is revealed. Do we blame God in the midst of that or we just trust that he's still on the throne? Our heart is revealed whenever we go through a wilderness experience as to our relationship and where we are, whether it be with other people or our relationship with God. This is a lesson that it took 40 years for Israel to get in the wilderness. That every day they were going to be tested. Every day they should be dependent and de devoted to God, and if they could get that right in the wilderness, oh, then maybe they'd get it right when they were in the promised land. When things changed, they would remember to be fully devoted and dependent upon God for all things. And so God warns them, he tells them, don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses, settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This, this idea of being proud, it's the opposite of humble, right? It's, it's forgetting your place. It's when you start to think that you are good enough and you are smart enough and doggone it, people like you. <laughs> that you're something more than what you really are and you think you can handle life. You don't need God. You're not dependent on him anymore. You'll take care of it. And when you begin to do that, your devotion to God, it fails. You begin to forget the Lord. 
You know, I, I was trying to picture, like, what does this look like for the Israelites? Because I was trying to picture, now I'm, I'm in, you're entering into a little bit of how I think, but um, I was trying to picture conversations with a couple of guys prior to the promised land, right? Uh, silly conversations that probably didn't happen. Um, but a guy coming up and going, hey, how's the weather today, Obadiah? What do you think it's going to be like today? And Obadiah looking at his friend and going, I don't know. Like, it, does it matter? There's a cloud over there. I know God's here today. And tonight there's going to be fire. He's going to be there too. It might rain. It might not rain. It might be hot. It might be cold. But I know this. God's here, right? So quit asking me stupid questions. <laughs> that, probably didn't ha- that probably didn't happen. But I was trying to picture like, most of the people of Israel were probably focused every day. Everything you were doing, you could look up and you could see the presence of God. Every day you were reminded that it was your daily bread. But when they got into the promised land, the conversations begin to change. They don't see the cloud anymore. The fire's not there. The bread comes from the field that they had. And so the conversations turn to, hey, what do you think the weather's going to be like today? I don't know. I I think it might rain today. And it, it looks different. And I thought about our lives. How many of us are so preoccupied that I, with other things than our devotion and our dependence on God? Because many of us, we live in North America. Even some of us who are struggling are still better off than most, a majority of the world. But how many of us were preoccupied? I bet you we wake up in the morning and we know more about the weather, the top five news stories, who won the game last night, our email, some social media, and our schedule for the day. Then we do, then we do know what God's doing around us. How many of us, if I asked the question, this is rhetorical, by the way, and said, what book of the Bible are you in right now? Is it random? Do you not know? Is there a devotion? Is there dependence? For some of you, you're in a wilderness experience right now. And if you are, I'll guarantee you that when you wake up in the morning, it's not the weather that you think of first. It's God, get me through this day. And you're learning something in the midst of that wilderness that God is there and you can depend on him and he's devoted to you. And you're learning a lesson in that wilderness, a lesson that God wants you to take when you're on the other side. And some of us who are on the other side, we need to remember that lesson that just because we're doing well right now isn't because we're so awesome. And we can learn to have the same heart and live the same way in prosperity as we did when we were struggling. Because it's not the circumstances surrounding our lives, it's the relationship with God. When we focus on that and are devoted to that, that's what brings blessing in our lives on both sides, for better, for worse. Our heart is revealed in the wilderness.
You know, as a part of the 40 days of Lent, the church oftentimes uh, calls people to fast, to set aside something. It's a practical way of putting ourselves in a wilderness experience, right? You might fast a meal or fast an item. And when you begin to get hungry, you are reminded, oh yeah, I'm not as good as what I thought I was. I'm not as strong as what I thought I was, right? That's that humble testing that the Lord is doing. And we're reminded to think of him and all that he has done for us. Sometimes we even fail in that, and we're reminded again, oh yeah, I still need to learn my dependence on God and my devotion to him. But the church provides a way throughout the year as we fast, as we pray, and especially during Lent when we set aside these 40 days, that we pray that we will learn a lesson in 40 days that took Israel 40 years, and even then, they didn't get it but it's a lesson that God is still trying to teach us, that it's not about our circumstances around us, it's the relationship with God, that covenant relationship that brings blessing on both sides. So where's your heart? Where are you today? Are you fully devoted? Are you giving God your best? Are you waking up every day thinking about him and learning more about him? Are you spending time in worship? Would people be able to see your heart as you go through difficulty? They do, you know. They see it in the wilderness. Your coworkers, your spouse, your children, the next generation, they see it. Do they see you dependent on God for all things? Or do they see kind of a crazy relationship where when things are bad, you cry out, and when things are good, you're okay? The world is looking for authentic disciples, people who are devoted and dependent on God. That's the lesson. Brennan Manning passed away a few years ago. He's one of my favorite authors. He's a former priest and addict, and uh, he, writes, uh, he wrote a book called The Ragged Muffin Gospel. If you haven't read it, you should. In one of the chapters, he, uh, the chapter's titled The Victorious Limp, and in it, he says this. What makes authentic disciples is not visions or ecstasies or biblical mastery of chapter and verse or spectacular success, but a capacity for faithfulness Buffeted by the fickle winds of failure, battered by their own unruly emotions, bruised by rejection, ridicule, authentic disciples may have stumbled and frequently fallen, endured lapses and relapses, gotten handcuffed to the flesh pots and wandered into far country, yet they kept coming back to Jesus. That's the heart for you and I to remember our vows to God and our relationship with him, to keep coming back to Jesus, that our hearts would be fully devoted and dependent upon him. And as I said, some of you are walking through some wilderness experience today. I want you to know God is present. You're probably sensing it each and every day. Whatever lesson you are learning of his presence and his power in the midst of that, remember that. For those of us who are on the other side, we need to remember, we need to be called back to say there's nothing more important than my relationship with God. My comfort right now, 
things that are going well in my life right now, they're not because of who I am. They're because of who he is. And let us come back to that relationship, come back to Jesus. You know, as we finish up, I wonder if in our hearts, as I pray, if you would just simply make a statement to the Lord today. No matter which side you're on, good, bad, wilderness experience, or promised land, that maybe today before you leave, you would simply say the words that some of you have said before from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. Say it to God. Scriptures tell us that if that's the way we live, in that right relationship with Christ, not even death can separate us. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your promise. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that uh, even in the midst of our own brokenness, Lord, <laughs> you are there for us each and every day, providing for all of our needs, giving us all that we have, all of our abilities, all of the gifts, all of our relationships. God, if we have forgotten that they are yours and not something we have done, forgive us. God, if we're in the wilderness, ah, oh, would you just draw near to us and provide for us? But Lord, help us to be devoted and dependent on you each day as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would be authentic in our relationship with you and learn the lesson of the wilderness experience. We pray this in the power and in the name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. amen.